Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Oh, yeah. Better than this. I don't know what I'm doing. I can't do this shit. What's better than this? Guys, me and dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast, presented by Locked On. It's Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network, and we are your hosts here on this Tuesday Takes on Takes edition of the show. Got some spicy stuff, got some funny stuff. It's going to be good. Kyle, welcome. Thank you. I am excited for our best show of the week because we don't have to come up with the content. We just have to react to it. Uh, there's some good stuff in here. We'll get to it. There's like a, a, a Will Disley take in here that's just tremendous about unicorns. So uh, I saw that yeah. tweet. Yeah. yeah, I'm assuming that was tattle taked. Yeah, we got some good tattle takes today. Very. We good. got a lot of tattle takes this week from what I saw on the Twitter machine. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, do you want to give or receive the first one? I would like to receive the first one. Okay. Being selfish. I like it. Uh, take from Scotty Emery diving right in today. This is uh, Matt Nagy is a superb leader and will keep the Bears head coaching job for a good few years. He's going to have to hand over play calling sooner rather than later, though. He think he's constantly trying to outsmart himself. Hashtag takes on takes. You know, I, I'm not certain that I'm into the weeds every day on the Chicago Bears, but I've seen enough like um, just different locker room videos, different mic'd up sessions just to kind of get a feel for Nagy as a leader and he does strike me in that way he does strike me as somebody that can really control a locker room and you know build a a culture and get guys to buy in and uh, compete at their hardest you know there's no question that I feel like he can do those things I've been very impressed with those elements of of Nagy Um, I think that's a challenge for a lot of coaches in terms of like letting go of those play calling responsibilities and I get it especially if you're an offensive guy like the reason you have that job is because you were able to call plays and execute an offense and get it to be very effective. And you want to preserve those things and you want to have that control. And I think it's not true for every coach. Some coaches are able to continue with those play calling duties and still manage the football team at large very effectively. But, you know, if, if it's something where we think this could be a difference maker for Nagy and the performance of his team, then he's got to let that go. So, you know, I don't know that I I'm, intimate enough if that makes sense with the bears to say that's their definite problem but it's certainly something that you know piques my interest and um it should be something considered i don't know if the bigger problem isn't just not having the most effective quarterback play consistently next one here comes from von tell uh oh by the way everyone's back on the jared goff sucks train so those are going to be coming up in our takes here Vontel says Kyler Murray is the second best quarterback in his division, of course, after the obvious Russ. I like Vontel. I think 
if you framed this physical talent, this could be a reasonable take. Would you not agree with me? Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, Kyler Murray is the second best physical talent at quarterback in the NFC West. I don't think we have a big enough sample size, and we've seen kind of the peaks and valleys of Jared Goff, and it's really easy right now because he's in a valley to emotionally detach yourself from him being a good quarterback. Uh, If Jared Goff finishes the year this year and continues to play to the standard that we've seen thus far this season, and Kyler Murray continues to like quietly do a really good job with the Arizona Cardinals, because Kyler Murray has done quietly a very good job with the Arizona Cardinals. Mm -hmm. Arizona's won a few football games. Kyler's not turning the ball over a ton. He's uh, avoiding taking big hits, even if it means he has to sit down on his rump. (laughs) This is a funny play this past weekend. Yeah. But it's a smart play for a guy that's, that's built like him. So I think there's a discussion that could be had here, but that conversation needs to be had at the end of the season, not after week six, because Jared Goff last year, statistically speaking, was phenomenal. Jared Goff the year before that, statistically speaking, was phenomenal. He has his own limitations. I think Kyler's obviously a much better physical talent, and you can make that statement with as a stone cold fact right now. But I don't think you could just wash Jared Goff away because he's off to a slow start. Take from Dennis, LSU at Alabama in week 11 of the college football season is going to be a more fascinating game than Oklahoma at Texas Tech in 2016. Now, of course, Joe, the big thing about that game was what? Uh, Baker Mayfield versus Patrick Mahomes. I'm going to tell you, Dennis, I don't agree with you at all, especially because I have the hindsight perspective on Texas Tech, Oklahoma. That game was 66 to 59, Mayfield versus Mahomes. Uh, They both had 854 total yards, exactly the same amount for both teams. Texas Tech goes 22 of 27 on third and fourth downs uh, combined. Wait, what? Yeah. Texas Tech went 22 of 27 on third and fourth down? (laughs) Yes. Oh, my God. Listen, that's amazing. But let me me tell you something else that this might be more amazing, right? Okay, you got the the picture here. They scored 59 points. They had 42 first downs. They went 22 of 27 on third and fourth down combined at 854 yards. Oklahoma scored 66 points. The exact same 854 yards. Kyle, just take a guess at what their combined third and fourth down uh, ratio was. How many attempts were there? That, that's the fa- that's the fascinating piece of it to me. Oh, they were probably like five of eight. They probably never hit third down. Six of 11, Kyle. Six Jesus. of 11. Now, nothing will ever be more fascinating than that game. And I think, you know, the reality is LSU and Alabama, I, we're excited for the game. It's It's the most exciting game on the schedule this year in college football, but those teams have more defense than these two teams had. And I think it's going to be a good competitive football game with a ton of uh, interest and all those types of things. But that I don't know that you're going to be able to trump Oklahoma, Texas tech, 2016, 22 to 27. What? That's crazy. All right. Mike Krause says Daniel Hunter is a top five edge rusher in the league and doesn't get the recognition he deserves. Okay. Let's work through this together, Joe. We're in we're in the tr- the maze together, and we need to get the cheese. Okay. All right. Yeah. 
Would you say that Miles Garrett is a better edge rusher than Daniel Hunter? Yes. Miles Garrett has six or nine sacks on the season so far, by the way. He's tearing it up. Yep. Um, would you say Khalil Mack is a better edge rusher <laughs> than Daniel Hunter? Yep. This is where it gets a little weird. Cameron Jordan, do you consider him an edge rusher? Yeah, I do. Only and from the left think, side, though. Do you think Cameron Jordan's a better edge rusher than Daniel Hunter? Splitting hair. This is where I think you start splitting hairs. They're in the same tier. They're in the same tier. Okay. Yeah. Is there any other name? I'll, I'll ask it this way. Is there any other name that you think is head and shoulders above the tier that we're in right now? Like that, that the Mac Garrett normal Von Miller tier? <laughs> right. No, nah, man. I mean... Okay, so Von Miller, you want to put Von Miller in that bucket? Normally, yeah. Yeah, I think he deserves I, mean, I, I don't think we're going to write him off based off six games. And, right, yeah, yeah. And about I think, J.J. Watt? Yeah, he, you know, he's more... Do you consider him an edge rusher? I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't consider him a true edge, no. But he can but, line up on the edge. He can, he can, but I would... I what about know. the Bosa brothers? Oh, man. Uh, no, they're, in the, they're, they're not in that tier. They're in the Hunter-Cam Jordan tier. So depending on your flavor, you could come to a logical argument to say Daniel Hunter's one of the five best edge rushers in the NFL. Yeah, I don't I think you'd really be splitting hair or sorting out four, five, six, seven. Like, you know, they're in that range, in my opinion. Okay. Um Well, Nick's played six games. Joey has some durability questions that he needs to resolve. Um I'll buy this if you're putting Daniel Hunter at five and we're not counting JJ Watt. Sure. And, and he's, I think we, we saw he's the youngest pass rusher to achieve how many sacks? And got probably 100, right? 100? No. Come on. He's 25. I'm talking about JJ Watt. So. No, Daniel Hunter. Uh, he just went over, he's at 46 sacks for his career now. So probably 40. He's 24 whether, years old. Yeah, whether it's 40 <laughs> or 45, like that's a bonkers number of sacks. <laughs> 24, pal. At 24. 24. And he's been in the league like four years now. This is his fifth season. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. He's been in forever. Yeah. Now he turns um, 25 like this week. So there's that or next week. But Well, yes, I, w- I will take the nail hunter at five if you're giving me uh, top five edges. Yeah. Like pure edges. Uh, take from Dion, Joe nice. Burrow. This is an interesting take. Yeah, Joe Burrow is the quarterback people wish Justin Herbert could be. Burrow will be the first quarterback taken in the NFL draft, and Herbert will go in the second round. A lot of layers, a lot of layers. I wish it was just the first sentence. Um, so you can do Bur- that. I'll take the other half. Okay, let's do that. Okay, Burrow is the quarterback people wish Justin Herbert could be. I think this is a really interesting discussion because. Herbert almost falls victim to an extent of there just being too much tape. And we've had such a large sample size to really get frustrated with him not improving on his weaknesses and kind of being the same type of player for three seasons and um, being flashy, but still really having issues under duress and having issues coming off his first read and some questionable decision-making. And when that's true for three consecutive seasons, you can get frustrated. Whereas Joe Burrow, we kind of, Nobody was really talking about him last year, right? Like he was this game manager for LSU, probably the best quarterback they've had in a long time, but that wasn't really saying much because the bar was so low. 
And then Joe Brady comes into this uh, this LSU coaching staff and reinvigorates his passing attack. And all of a sudden, Joe Burrow's playing the best quarterback of anybody in, in college football. And so you have really contrasting context because Burrow is just lighting the world on fire and he's somewhat new, whereas Herbert's been the same guy for three years. Yeah, Joe, and I'm going to take the second half of this. Uh, Joe Burrow will be the first quarterback taken in the 2020 NFL draft, and Herbert will go in the second round. First and foremost, I think Justin Herbert has way too many traits that NFL coaches are going to be attracted to for him to, to slide to the second round. There's a supply and demand issue here. Looks like Tennessee might be in the quarterback market. We've got Cincinnati in the quarterback market. Miami's in the quarterback market. Uh, you got all these teams that are playoff contenders uh, who have aging quarterbacks who may may potentially be in the quarterback market. I just I, I have a really hard time seeing Herbert with all of his quote unquote upside because he's he's a very different case study. Let me know if you agree with me. Very different case study than the likes of like a Drew Locke. Yes, I agree. So Joe Burrow being the first quarterback taken in the NFL draft is the interesting part. And I'm telling you right now, Joe, I can already see it. I can see this happening because the knocks on Tua are all the stereotypical, well, he's six foot, he's left-handed, supporting cast around him. Joe Burrow's six four, right-handed quarterback. He is from an intangible standpoint, uh, he's a coach's son. All the all of those dumb little generic boxes that people want to not check for Tua, Burrow checks them. And he's got like this subtle swagger to him. So I've been, as Burrow's kind of been developing into a player, I actually sent in Slack to you and Ben uh, an interview that he had done. And um, I'm, I've been really impressed listening to him talk, talking about uh, fresh off the, the Florida game, talking about how uh, the offensive line did such a great job and, and he took responsibility for the few pressures that he felt from Florida be, by saying that he called the wrong protection. So knowing that he's has that kind of control of the LSU offense at the line of scrimmage is a really big relief, especially after seeing how Josh Rosen coming into the NFL as a, a talented passer, but a guy who wasn't asked to do a lot of that kind of stuff, knowing Burrow has that on his plate right now, I can see this happening. I don't know if I would say I would be super stunned if I saw it happen. Right, and, and Burrow's like, um, he's done with all his classes, so he's like a professional quarterback right now. It's like a couple online classes that he takes, but otherwise he is preparing like, yeah, this is the only thing in the world he has to do, and and it's definitely paying off for him. And he and he's gonna undoubtedly be down at the Senior Bowl and get a, get an opportunity for up close and personal for a week, hands on. Yeah, like he's he is gonna be able to exploit the draft process in its entirety with pro day, team visits, the combine, the all star circuit. And you just know, based on his background, he's going to be a guy that blows people away. I think there's a legitimate chance that this happens. Take from the sports nut. If Christian McCaffrey keeps this pace up, he deserves to win the NFL MVP, despite not being a quarterback. Whew. Um, 
I think I'm one of the most eager people in the world to give MVPs to non-quarterbacks. And, you know, McCaffrey has certainly been exceptional this year in six games, 923 yards from scrimmage and nine touchdowns. It's unbelievable, right? I mean, just totally a multifaceted player that is so important to that team. Um, I don't know, like, how do you put them above Russ Wilson or Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes or – you know, that's that's where it gets difficult for me, man. Um I think he'll have a case. He'll get votes. I'm not I'm not I'm not sure that I give it to him over Russ if he continues playing like he has. Alan Fisher says Atlanta should fire Quinn at the end of the season and hire Lincoln Riley. I think Riley might be willing to go to a non tire fire franchise like Atlanta. Well, last two years Atlanta's looked like a tire fire. <laughs> um I guess my dilemma here is is what kind of positioning does Atlanta finish with in terms of how long is Matt Ryan going to play? How much flex- flexibility do they have with Matt Ryan? Because Matt Ryan really doesn't strike me as a Lincoln Riley type quarterback. I think that's a fair statement to make? Joe? Yes? No? People thought Chip Kelly uh, had a certain type of quarterback. And, you know, when he got to the NFL and his first quarterback was like whoever they had in, in Atlanta, right? Was it was it Sam Bradford? No, he had Nick Foles the Nick first Fol- year. And Foles threw 27 touchdowns and two picks. Yeah, but everybody thought he was going to have like Darren Thomas or something like that, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um I don't. I just think it has to be a special. I think there has to be some kind of connection that would prompt Riley to jump, and I don't know that Atlanta necessarily has that. Uh, Brownstown, Andy. I don't know why you're getting this question. No, you're, you're not getting. Absolutely... I'm not taking this. You're getting this. Okay, give it to me right now. Blitz 2000 is the greatest football game of all time. Yeah, there's no question. Blitz 2000 is the greatest football video game of all time. Um. Is it like NBA Jam or something? I've never played it. I promise you. And you never played NFL Blitz? No. Yeah, it's it's pretty much like an arcade style, like five on five, NFL, uh, arcade football game. What's the appeal? Like head to head and just weird, just like crazy stuff happens or what? I mean, it, it's it, there's pretty cartoonish like collisions between the players, and it's like really over the top. And it's more of an arcade versus a simulation, but it's like, everything's like bombs away. And there's, there's modified rules as far as uh, first downs. And so it's, it's a very fast paced game. Sounds a lot of fun. Sounds terrible. I'll see what I can do. See if I can find it. Uh, This is interesting from Charlie. Emmanuel Sanders is the, Wide receiver equivalent to Adam Gase. Both are living off reputations earned by having Peyton Manning play quarterback for the team that they were on slash coached. Um, I don't know. Emmanuel Sanders has been good receiver for a while in the NFL, you know, without Adam Gase. So, um, I mean, obviously his best year, a couple years with Denver was with, you know, Adam Gase. But every time I watch Emmanuel Sanders, I think he's a really effective football player. He's had his own injuries and those types of things, but, 
I don't, I don't think he's a number one receiver in the NFL, but I think he's a very useful part of, uh, uh, you know, a receiver core and provides a certain type of skill set that is valuable. So certainly his best years were with Gase, but I don't know that he doesn't deserve the limelight that he's in or whatever people think he is. If you think he's the number one receiver, then you have you have bad expectations of what Emmanuel Sanders is in the NFL. Here we go. This is uh, this was turned in by a lot of people here, Kyle. Uh, this is I from, saw this was probably referenced to us by like seven different yeah, people yeah. this week. Several people turned this in. Uh, your fantasy tight end, Will Disley of the Seattle Former. Seahawks. He said, "If you think about it, unicorns make way more sense than giraffes. A horse with a horn versus a long-necked horse." With cheetah spots, the fuck? I'm letting this sink in. How many animals can you name off the top of your head with a horn? Uh, a rhinoceros. The, the, the way a, a unicorn horn would be. I, okay, a rhino. Um, okay, that's one. I mean, like a, I guess a bull wouldn't count, right? No. I'm going to be disappointed if you don't get at least one more. There's some kind of other animal that has one of those things. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's how you put me on the spot to think about animals. It's uh doesn't doesn't go well. Um what is what type of animal? Is it a mammal, reptile? It's a mammal. Does it have fur? No, it does not. Not that I know of. I would assume not. Does it live on the land? No. What? I'm I'm lost. You don't know what a narwhal is? Oh, those are real? <laughs> what, you think they were fake? I don't know. I've never seen... I go to the zoo a lot. And I never saw one. You've never seen a narwhal? I thought that was some kind of a fictional thing. No. Medium-sized toothed whale that possesses a large tusk from Jeez. a protruding canine tooth. Lives wow. year-round in Arctic waters around Greenland, Canada, and Russia. Wow. These things are real, huh? It's, it's like, like the cousin of the beluga whale, but it's got a... a spear on the front. Isn't there like a famous cartoon one of these that pops up sometimes? Oh, I don't know. I think that's what I was thinking of. Are you thinking of the walrus? I don't know, Kyle. Are you kidding me? The cartoon walrus? This is where you really find out about me is when stuff like this comes up. Yeah, I guess there's two examples. uh, A sea creature and a land creature of something with a horn coming out of the front of its face. And the only other like long necked versions of anything that I could think of are dinosaurs. And then you add in the cheetah spots. I think Will Disley's got a good take. What here. about like an anteater or something like that? Okay. And what is an anteater? The, what about like an about ostrich, you know, just ridiculous necks on things. I think yeah, the but thing about a unicorn, don't unicorns fly. Isn't that they kind of where you, to. I, I mean, think- I did. you talking about my pretty ponies. I mean, those, that's what I think of when I think about unicorns. <laughs> I don't know that necessarily unicorns have to fly unless no. they have wings. I think that's a common belief of the unicorn creature is that it flies. And to me, that's where it, uh, it loses me. I think this entire conversation has lost our listeners. All right, let's move on. Okay. I think Will Disley's got a good take. Take from Mike White, who was turned in by Zach Herbert. This is at least interesting. There will be a six-win AFC team in the playoffs. No, not even close. 
you're banking on either Houston or Baltimore slash Cleveland slash Pittsburgh winning their division with six wins. That's right. Exactly. It's not going to happen. That's that's nuts. I mean, here's the bottom line is of the five teams that would be in right now, they all have at least four wins. They're going to win two more games. I don't think so, man. I don't, I don't think so. I don't think uh, – no, no, no. I can see second place in the AFC North having six wins. Sure, but not first. I can see nine and seven, six and ten, five and eleven, two and fourteen, or three and thirteen. But nine and seven, man. Like the the Ravens could win that division at nine and seven, and that's still three more wins than six. Well, and they get bailed out because the rest of the division sucks. Right. And then, I mean, between whoever wins the South, whether that's the Colts or the Texans, you know, they're probably going to have 10 wins. I don't think so. I see what I he's trying. I see the point he's trying to make, but I don't think yeah. so. Yeah. I think uh, seven, at least you might see a pathway to seven. Mr. Thick Boy, the next version of converted players to tight end will be tall running backs. Look at George Kittle, Kittle's physical skill set. Well, we've already seen this to a certain degree with Jalen Hurd, right? Yeah. Kind of a big slot wide receiver for San Francisco, was drafted in the third round, was a running back in Tennessee, transitioned to Baylor. Um, Who are these tall tight ends, are these tall running backs that, that you have to have some people in mind, right? I mean, uh, Memphis flexes Patrick Taylor out into the slot. I'm not suggesting that yeah. to be the case, but it's like, I think that's the biggest thing for me when I'm trying to find this pathway, right? Is is what's more valuable? Being a two-down running back that'll get eight carries a game or being a guy that can be a mismatch as a receiving option, it makes sense because there's such a surplus of running backs. Yeah, I don't disagree. And these guys, a lot of these guys are already playing linebacker, right? Right. Yeah. I'm looking over the draftnetwork.com's running back rankings for the 2020 NFL draft. Um, Najee Harris is 6'2, Patrick Taylor, 6'3, 223. That's it. That's the only guys that we have right now that are, oh, Siwo Alunilula from TCU is 6'3, 225. He's a physical freak. So that that's kind of the that's the six two or higher guys that we have listed in however many probably I'd guess thirty or forty running backs on the site right now. Lock it in. Yeah. All right. We got uh, one more here from Bull Bittler. Thursday night football's result will put a halt to the Daniel Jones hype train, only for it to get going again ten days later when he wins a shootout against the number one pick. So we have Giants uh, Cardinals this week, one o'clock. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I don't know. Arizona's—they're both playing better, right? Uh, Giants are coming. Uh, they were idle last week, right? No, they played Thursday night, so they have extra time to prepare prepare for this game. I could see Daniel. I could see Daniel Jones having a good game against Arizona. I could see Kyler having a good game against the Giants. I mean, defensively, Arizona's defense, that their defensive numbers are horrible. Pat Pete comes back this week. 29th in points allowed and 30th in yards allowed. Pat Pete comes back this week. 
How much does Pat Peek can help the pass rush? I don't know. Both of these teams are giving up like 300 passing yards a game. I think Daniel Jones will have a better game than Kyler Murray. Cardinals have not generated a turnover in their last three games. It's challenging. They won, and then they won a couple games too, right? What, brother? <laughs> Arizona's won their last two, so, but without creating a turnover, without creating a turnover, and hear me out. Okay. You know me first downs the Falcons got against the the Cardinals last week. I don't. You want to venture a guess? Uh, I don't know. Thirteen. Thirty-one. You're kidding. No. You're kidding. 31. No. Arizona's given up over 400 yards in four of their six games and has conceded at least 21 first downs in every single game played so far this year. They have three turnovers on the year, and two of them came week one against Detroit. And with all that said, the Giants are allowing more yards per game so far this year. Incredible. (laughs) Absolutely incredible. And I guess like we should probably slow our roll on Arizona here a little bit. They needed a last second field goal to beat Cincinnati mm-hmm. and beat the Falcons by one. Well, if, uh, if you don't want to watch the Bills Dolphins at one o'clock, you can always watch the Giants and Cardinals. Imagine not wanting to watch the Bills win by 40. Dude, what? <laughs> I don't know. Actually, I think it'll be it's going to be 21 to 10, I'm telling you. Yeah, that's my exact... prediction yesterday was 11 points. Yeah, I think that's, that's what it'll be. And uh, Miami will need like a dumb Josh Allen play to get into scoring position for the touchdown. Let's um let's not let's calm down on dumb Josh Allen plays. We're we're trying to limit those to one a game, Kyle. Okay, so that's that's the one that puts you on the short field. <laughs> uh, do, do, uh, just real quick, I, on that game, I mean, what should the – should the Bills win this game like 35-3 to three or something like that? Like what – They should destroy Miami. Do you think it'll say because a lot about the so, Bills if they do or don't? No, because Miami has absolutely no pass rush, so Josh will have all day to stand back there and let things develop down the field. The Dolphins have no offensive line. Washington torched them up front, and Buffalo's got a more f- fearsome front seven than, than Washington does. So I just think there's such gross mismatches on both sides of the line of scrimmage in favor of Buffalo that it's going to be a walk in the park. Yeah, but, so I understand that, but do you think – whether the Bills destroy Miami or if it's if it's thirty-five to three compared to twenty-one to ten or twenty-one to seven or something like that, do you like how much do you put into how Buffalo performs against Miami this week in terms of your overall outlook on the team? On Buffalo? Yeah. Not much. Because I think it's very easy to walk into a game against this team and say, as a successful team, and say, well, you know, we're we're gonna take care of business no matter what. And if you start slow, I'm not going to crucify Buffalo for it. I think it's an important – the overarching thing, the Bills need to win the game, but they also need to start acclimating some pieces back into their team, whether that's Taron Johnson at slot or Devin Singletary at running back or you know getting, getting their right tackle thing kind of figured. I think this is a good game for them to start doing those things. 
kind of make some experiments as far as personnel and yeah, and I mean, like even putting some stuff back on guys' plates that right. haven't been there the last couple of weeks. Right, I do, and that and that may have a detrimental effect on the, right. the end score of the game. Right, so that's why, uh, kind of to the point that I was making earlier. No, I'm not going to crush Buffalo if they win by two touchdowns or that's or or ten points and that's it. Just win the game and let's go play the just, Eagles just, next week, Kyle. Are you excited for that game? I think the Bills defense makes gives you so much confidence going into any game. You know, I'm excited for for it because I think it's a it's a you know it's a a good measuring stick in terms of you know people have and it's fair, right? Whatever you could say that the Bills kind of you can go look at every single game really except for maybe the Giants game and say, well, they let the other team hang around or they put themselves in certain positions. Now they won the football game, but you know X, Y, and Z happened, and so like maybe you have your concerns. Well. I think if they were able to, to beat Philadelphia, it's a type of game that, you know, maybe people go, oh, you know. So that's interesting to me. But but it's also a very it, – it's a difficult draw to get Philly at this point in the season because Philly right now is 3-3 three and three and they play the Cowboys this week. Sunday Night Football, yep. So Philly's in buckle-down mode, kind of like what we saw when they played the Packers in Green Bay on Thursday night. And Philly, it's one of those games like – whether it's not a position you're used to being in as a fan of Buffalo, like Buffalo does not need that game more than Philadelphia needs it. I Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. And that's one thing that I've talked a lot about on lockdown bills recently has been, you know, how does a, a football team that hasn't played in a lot of big games respond to big games? And so far yeah. we saw that against the Patriots. And while everything else looked pretty good, not just Josh Allen, Josh Allen the most, but the offensive line, the receivers, all they all took a big shit in their pants. So, you know, there, maybe there's something to learn from that. But I know the Bills were in a playoff game in 2017, but this is a, a completely different offense. Yeah, right it's now. a very, very different dynamic right. all around. Right. So I think that that's what I'm most looking forward to with this team is how do they kind of grow into the role of being playoff contenders and how do they respond in those situations? So – There'll be some good clarity in the next couple weeks yeah. for Buffalo. Excited for it. That's going to do it for us today on the show. Hope you guys enjoyed. Thanks, as always, for listening. Come back and see us again tomorrow. Joe, I think we're due to talk about some college football. Yeah. We'll talk to God and about some... it tonight, and we'll deliver a show for you yeah. tomorrow. Amen to that. Come back and listen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.